Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I am your host, Father Shane Demon, and I'm flying solo today. Poor Father Travis can't be with us, but we are joined with a very special guest. Uh, I'm joined here with Father Paul Hazing, a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha and Vice Rector and Dean of Students for Kenrick Seminary. Father Paul, welcome to Outcast Catholic. Thanks, Father Shane Demon. Grateful to be with you. Well, it's it's good to have you. Um, Father Travis and I have been recently speculating about some other guests that we can have on the air, and uh, your name it came up quickly. It helps that as a vocation director, I do a lot of traveling, and and I'm here visiting the men under under your uh, guidance and supervision here at the seminary. Um, it's been quite a year here, you know, for the seminary, just going through all the pandemic protocols and everything. But things seem to be going really well. They are. We have from the beginning. We've called it. Uh, Courageous prudence. Okay. So uh, we take prudential measures, but we also live as a household. So the men are here living like a family. And so we keep things kind of in-house, and uh, we're careful when we're out of the house, and, and we really monitor the, the health of the men. And the men knew there were going to be risks, mm-hmm. but uh, they understood themselves to be grown men, mm-hmm. and uh, they've handled it really well. So avoided discouragement, avoided fear, courageous prudence. That's good. Courageous prudence. That's awesome. I'm going to use that phrase. And you had the yeah you had the decision just to say, well, we're going to live as a community. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not a bunch of commuters. We're all here together. You know? Right, right. So we're not like a university with lots of people coming in all the time. We do have professors that come in, but we right. can have them in a separate part of the building. So, uh, and we're not like a nursing home because they're not 80 or 70 years old. Sure. So we made those distinctions up front to help sure. situate kind of what kind of community this is. It's not a monastic community. It's an apostolics community where we have everything in-house. And so right. the ones we really wanted to protect are the sisters who live and work here. There's five of them from India. And right now, they're in the safest place compared to India because mm-hmm. they're really suffering over yeah, there. Yeah, terribly. And uh, they were safe the whole time. Right. And they've been vaccinated and really made it through without incident. So we're grateful for that. Oh, praise God. Yeah. Well, you and I kind of come from bordering dioceses, you know, the I-29 connection, the Diocese of Sioux City, and the great Archdiocese of Omaha, just down the road a little bit. Um, for our listeners who might not know about you and your background, can you tell us a little bit about your your vocation story and your priestly journey up to this point? Uh, sure, yeah. I grew up on a farm in northeast Nebraska, and uh, that uh, was a you know a family farm, the Hazing family farm. Uh, in the Schaefer family farm, and my mom grew up about 15 miles from there near Crofton, Nebraska. So grew up along the river, mm-hmm. just south of Yankton, South Dakota. And that part of Nebraska, Cedar County, isn't a whole lot different than the Carroll area. Sure. So strong Catholic area. Strong yeah. Catholic area. Know the situation. I know what that's like. And then, uh, you know, I was interested uh, in priesthood really throughout uh, high school. My father was a, a teacher. So he taught uh, what you would call VOAG and uh, FFA and shot class and those kinds of things. So he was uh, very uh, involved with uh, high school students. And so I also had in my high school experience five different priests teaching in our high school. Wow. So the area parishes 
had all these priests, and they would teach at the local Catholic high school, Hardington Cedar Catholic High School. So I saw the priest teaching, and I saw my dad teaching, and my dad's a dad, and the priests are fathers, and so this sense of what kind of father am I called to be sure. started to take root. And, and growing up about a mile from the church on the farm, did a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals, served a lot of those events, and saw the priests involved in people's lives in some pretty significant ways. And so grew up with this wonderment. Mm. And uh, the high school experience really put a, a point to it, which meant I ran as best I could. So where did I run? I, I ended up at Briarcliff College for two years. If you're going to run from the priesthood, probably wasn't the best place to go. Catholic college. Yeah. Catholic college. Yeah. So I went to Briarcliff <laughs> for two years. And my sophomore year, I was with seniors in the, the dorm situation there. You could have suites. And so okay. all my senior class, uh, all those, those men and my, my suite mates, were going on to do things with their life. And I at that point, I, I decided I can't discern this on my own. Mm-hmm. So I needed to discern in a seminary. So you and I both were at St. John Vianney, right. uh, different eras right. uh, and different times. I, I think what uh, would have been five years before you, perhaps. Yeah, I entered there in January of 2000. 2000. So I was yeah. there, no, I was there in 1998. So okay. we just missed each other. Okay, I'm sorry, we couldn't hang yeah. out. No, 96, <laughs> sorry. 96 is when I entered, 98 is when I finished. So okay. I just missed you by two years. Yeah. But I had heard of... Father Shane Demon, because I was friends with Father Brian Hughes. Oh, of course. He was on the campus as the chaplain there. Yes, so yes. The Sioux City uh, connection there is important. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that journey into seminary was one of uh, real gentle recognition that um, my vocation is not one that I manufacture or decide on my own, mm-hmm. and uh, I need help. Mm-hmm. And the seminary was there to help and... Uh, was blessed with some really good priests at, the, at that time, Father Brian, uh, Father Peter Christensen, uh, who is now bishop in Boise, was the rector, and Paul Serba, who just passed yeah. recently. Dildo Rest Christian. his soul. Beautiful, beautiful priest, and, mm-hmm. and just a, a wonderful experience there. So after that, went on to uh, North American College and was ordained in 2002, so... That was a tough year to be ordained. That was yeah. everything broke in Boston. The long Lent of O2. Gosh, got fingerprinted after ordination, yeah. background checks, and mm-hmm. safe environment. All that was happening immediately upon ordination. So yeah. we knew, eyes wide open, that this was not a priesthood of 10 years ago or 20 years ago where the reputations were, were there. It was really uh, a rebuilding moment, and we knew we had to be either a part of the rebuilding of the reputation of priesthood or a part of the... The difficulty, and nobody wants to do that. Nobody gets in the morning and says, I'm going to be part of the difficulty. Right. So, so yeah, that's a, a very brief uh, kind of exposition of what it's been like to enter priesthood uh, from the farm. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the farm really prepared uh, my heart to want to be part of building a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, farmers have to build all the time, mm-hmm. and they have to fix all the time. And so problems are not something to be faced with uh, despair, but ah, we'll get through this. Yeah. There's some resilience there. Yeah. And there's an intrigue with uh, a new project. Not that, you know, the project of the church or the project of the faith is just our personal project, right? but the opportunity to be part of a larger enterprise that the, the Holy Spirit is guiding and to be instruments in his plans. It's, it's really, right. it's a real gift. And that was really beautiful. What you said about having all these father figures in your life, the witness of your own dad, mm-hmm. but then these, these priests in your high school, I don't know many people in the Midwest who have had that many priests on faculty I know. just in recent years. 
that's quite a witness for that community. I think the next closest was Creighton Prep. They might Probably. have had six priests on staff or scholastics, and that was a, that's a Class A school with 1,000 boys. Right. So we were Class C1. People in Iowa, they'd be like A2, whatever right. you call it there. But right. it was a small school. But, um, yeah, what a blessed experience of them sharing their life in a way that we could see these were men, human, mm-hmm. with their own hobbies, their own fears, their own foibles. And certainly uh, that made them more attractive because they were human. Right. They weren't distant from us. And when I became uh, a priest, I wanted to teach in the high school. So I taught at an inner city high school, Ron Colley, North Omaha. And one of the students put it poignantly one day, slammed his books on the table, said, Father, you're the reason we spend seven grand to go here. Make it worth my time. It's <laughs> like, geez, Mitchell, I'll do what I can. No pressure there. No pressure. No, right. You better bring your A game today. <laughs> they were great students to really break open. They can tell. High school students can right within like two minutes if this is a person who believes what they're saying. Right, they they have a nose for hypocrisy. They do. So if they you're do. not believing, <laughs> if you're trying to walk the dog, they'll know immediately. Right, if you know what you're talking about. So that was great training, mm-hmm. and I wanted that experience as a young priest to be in the high school. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it, we have our Archbishop in Omaha. He's it's the great archdiocese of Omaha, and he's from so St. noble, Louis. so esteemed, so esteemed, so <laughs> wonderful. But he said it best, and it goes back to what he said about this. You know what we're doing in the church isn't a rebuilding as much as cooperating with a moment in the Holy Spirit. And, and Archbishop Lucas said it. He said when he first arrived to Omaha, the Holy Spirit is not tired hmm. from Dr- Jerusalem to Omaha, two thousand years. The Holy Spirit is not tired. Mm, it's beautiful, and I've just that keeps resonating with me that the Holy Spirit's always stirring up the faithful. Which, by the way, they're the only ones who get the name lay faithful. Mm-hmm. There's clergy, there's bishops, and then there's the lay faithful. <laughs> <laughs> so they're the only ones who get that little adjective, right? Sure. So the Holy Spirit's always stirring in people's hearts, and and I, I think this podcast came about because. Probably some lay people said, hey. They did. you got to do this, Father Shane. They did. Yeah, it was over a year ago. Several lay people were encouraging me to get a podcast started. And, uh, I mean, in typical fashion, we, we just get on the treadmill of life, and we're going 90 miles an hour, and we just get into these routines. Mm-hmm. And, and the COVID shutdown actually forced me to look into this question a little bit more yeah. and create a space to get creative and and try new ministerial outreach, which was a blessing despite the the tragic loss of human life and the economic suffering that this pandemic has brought about. But, you know, the Holy Spirit can use these moments to speak in new ways. Right. And we're all trying to be instruments of that. Um, Father Hazing, on this podcast called Outcast Catholic, we speak into several realities. Those who feel just kind of disenfranchised from the church, those who think the church is out to lunch and doesn't really speak to to the modern world, or even those who are trying to be faithful in their in their practice of the faith, those who are trying to be devout, they might be in uh, small communities across the Midwest and uh, might just feel outcast from other young adults, from a, an authentic sense of community, or trying to find vibrant parish life. You have worked with a number of young adults in their own discernment process as a vocation director, as a, as a high school teacher, now as a seminary formator, and you've walked with them not just simply trying to find what they want to do with their lives, but how is it that the Lord is speaking to them? Mm-hmm. So as we address our listeners today, especially um, those people who just might feel outcast from a life of prayer, feeling outcast from 
okay, everyone else seems to think that this Jesus speaks to them, but I don't hear Jesus. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. What, what is, what's wrong with me, or what am I supposed to be doing more correctly? Uh, do you have any thoughts or recommendations for our listeners just as they lean into their own prayer lives and as they maybe quiet themselves to find the promptings of the Holy Spirit more deeply? That is, I love the way you put that, that when people feel outcast, they'll, they'll be looking for wanting a way to plug in. Well, that doesn't happen for me, can it? Mm-hmm. Can that happen for me? That right there is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work, mm. where I start to pay attention to other people, getting a sense of the Lord in their life, and wanting something different. That in itself is already a listening to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me personally, that was we read, uh, Death Comes for the Archbishop. Willa Cather, good old Nebraska author. Sure. And it was that point where the priest was in the desert praying his breviary, and he rose from prayer as if he had just drank from deep waters. I'm a high school student, and I start wondering, could that be for me? Could that happen? Could someone actually pray in a desert and feel like they drank deep waters? Mm. How does that work? You know, So just the wonder, mm-hmm. the, the, the draw, the interest, that already is a sign of the Holy Spirit. So trust that. Mm. Even if it's coming from a place of, ah, that never happens for me, or I don't think it will happen for me. Even if that's happening, uh, sort of uh, bad news bear coming through your their life, just to be able to say, okay, that doesn't sound like the Lord. Mm-hmm. There Could there be something different than that voice? Mm. And so my proposal for anyone who wants to learn to be attuned to the Lord is what helps you to listen? What what helps you listen to goodness, what helps you li- listen to truth, what helps you listen to beauty, what helps you listen? Does relaxing help you listen? Does being in beauty help you listen? Does silence help you listen? Mm-hmm. And when I say listen, what are the thoughts, the feelings, desires that are, are going on in you? And, and sometimes we, we start to listen when we, we suffer. Gosh, I just had to go through this terrible day and I, I don't even know if I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Let's start listening to what I really want. Mm-hmm. I just had to go through this terrible suffering. I don't know why I went through that. Lord, what's going on? You start talking to God about your suffering. So you start listening to what you really want, what's really bothering you, what's really hurting you. Mm-hmm. So suffering can break through, beauty can break through, a trial can break us through into listening. Mm. And when I say listening to the interior movements, that's often more difficult than listening to the radio or listening to this podcast. Right. Because some things interiorly we'd, we'd rather not pay attention to, right. which is why we distract ourselves. And in America, we're masters at distraction. Mm. So uh, whatever will help you listen might be getting obstacles out of the way, distractions. It might be getting certain activities out of the way that just keep you away from paying attention interiorly. Uh, or it can be actively going towards something that's just really relaxing for you, really enjoyable for you really allows you to be yourself. Uh, so sometimes I'll, I'll ask that question, well, what, what, what do you do for fun? And in that, do you ever just pause in silence for a moment? And so if you've never really prayed, uh, just pausing in silence for two minutes, and then one day it's three minutes, and, and another day it's five minutes, and starting to notice what you really want, what you really think, what really hurts, what really gives you joy. Some kind of question to prompt that listening. Because that's what Jesus is doing in the Gospels all the time. What, what were you talking about along the way? Good old road to Emmaus. And mm-hmm. their response is, haven't you heard? And they're like, 
he says, well, what sort of things? So he's, he's wanting to hear more, and he does that by asking questions. So he's always helping people in the gospel listen. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. So he's, he's addressing a blind man in that case. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm blind. Can't you see that? Right. He wants to hear from you. <laughs> what do you think I want? You, I'm blind. <laughs> it's, so, it's annoying when I hear him say that question. But he does this early guy who had the son who was all foaming at the mouth. How long has this been going on? Tell me the whole story. Mm-hmm. I want to hear the whole story. Well, he tries to kill himself. Oh, that escalated mm-hmm. from convulsions to trying to kill himself. So <laughs> he wants the full story. And, and that requires listening to your full story. And you yourself listening to your full story. And maybe you haven't told your full story to someone else. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes when I'm feeling outcast, the thing that grounds me is coming back to friendship. And this pandemic has been really difficult for a lot of friendships to be maintained. And so if you're emerging from it or maybe coming to a new appreciation of it, I know I did during this pandemic, like, who are my real friends? Right. Who do I really lean on? in my life and do I show my appreciation or do I talk to them or do I tell them what they mean to me? And so really move to a a new level of appreciation for friendship. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus is looking for is friendship. Pope Benedict, that high flutin theologian we know, Pope Benedict XVI, that's his number one phrase, friendship with Jesus. He's such a Protestant, right? That's how the, that's how they talk. Yeah, you go tell the Pope Emeritus he's a Protestant. <laughs> right, I know, but he's, he's just, but that's the early church's vision. That's the way. Sure. Friendship with Jesus. So I just I've been talking out loud, but getting distractions out of the way, going to places where you can listen, and one of those places is really the analog of friendship. Do I know what it's like to be in a friendship? Because friends will bring out a good listening in us listening to ourselves. Do you hear yourself talking? Do you hear what you're saying? And friends will bring out, I want to hear more about that. And so to, to realize that's what Jesus is yearning for. And if I can start to taste that in my life, well, that movement into the prayer life becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's not so abstract. Right. So then you have a room in your house suddenly or a room or a place in your own room if you just have your bedroom. This is where Jesus sits. Mm-hmm. And this is where I sit with him as a friend. That's beautiful. And what, one of the things that I think we recognize so often in our culture is a great poverty of friendship, mm-hmm. a, a poverty of vulnerability and accountability mm-hmm. in which, as you were describing earlier, perhaps some have never shared their full story. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like your full story of maybe trauma in your life. It could just be the full story of how was your day? How was your week? Uh, what's been going on in your life during this pandemic? What are the movements of your heart as you're in school or starting in a career or going through a major life transition? What does that story sound like and who do I share that with? And for those who, because of the pandemic or just because of their circumstances, they might feel a little isolated or outcast from a a wide group of supportive friends. Uh, They certainly, as you say, always have a friend in Jesus. And that isn't a cutesy pie-in-the-sky notion. I mean, this is, this is the deepest levels of reality and identity meeting our Creator and Redeemer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just sitting there in the quiet of the room, in the quiet of the backyard, in the quiet of the farm, looking out on the horizon, wherever you're at, uh, where does that friendship unfold as I share my story with the Lord? Oh, yeah. yeah I, and I, I so love that you, how you put that in the quiet of my life. So I would say a lot of people are probably praying already, 
and they don't know it, mm-hmm. which is probably the best prayer, right? right? It's that quiet moment in the morning when you just sit there with your coffee. That's your prayer time. Mm-hmm. It's that quiet in the moment in the morning where you haven't started your vehicle up yet, but you're going to go to work, and it's you're just sitting in the vehicle for a moment, thinking about your day. You can be with the Lord there. Mm-hmm. So I, I would suggest that for anyone. You've got quiet moments in your day that are just laying there. Mm-hmm. Sit in them and let them be prayer without just really adding a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and do this thing, go after prayer. Prayer is a lot like sleep. Mm. <laughs> I just like, like the analogy because, <laughs> I mean, think about it. You go to a certain room uh, with certain kind of clothes get into a certain posture after a certain routine, and then you get into that posture and you're open to the gift of sleep. Hmm. It's really mysterious. Yeah. How'd that happen? I had some sleep last night. It's not like you get up in the morning and someone's like, how'd you sleep? Well, I made some mistakes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What? How did you make mistakes? Right. You've got no moral agency. So similarly with prayer, I mean, you go to a certain place, you have a certain posture, maybe a certain routine leading up to it, and you open yourself to the gift of prayer. If I go to bed with, I need to sleep tonight. I better sleep. I need this much time to sleep. If I don't sleep now, why am I not sleeping yet? Please sleep. Sleep now. Sleep. Mm-hmm. Go. Mm-hmm. You're never going to sleep. Right. And if I approach prayer with that similar kind of, I need to pray. I need to pray better. Am I praying well enough? How am I praying? What's, pray- what's happening in my prayer? I don't know what's happening in my prayer. Then we're not going to be praying. And praying is simply noticing with God what's happening in life, and being with God in it. Hmm. It'd be the kind of simplest being with God in it. Hmm. What's it? Your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. What's it like being with God in that? Well, who is God? And that goes back to my first experience of spiritual direction. As a seminarian, I had this spiritual director assigned to me he was a. He had three doctorates, I think, all Ivy League. Mm. Father William O'Neill. He might have been. Oh around. yeah. You remember him? Riddle barely. Dad. Yeah. Just he was, barely. He passed on not yeah. long after you got there. Yeah. But I thought he's going to be great. Guru, tell me what to do. Well, I get there in the library at St. Thomas, and he says, "Paul, I'd like you to write down three questions." Okay, I'm ready. Who is God? Who is God for you? And what difference does that make? So would you write those down? Who is God? Who is God for you? What difference does that make? You can think about those questions. You could write some things about those questions, but then I'll see you in two weeks, okay? How does that sound to you? <laughs> it's like, this is, this is the worst spiritual direction ever. Yeah, you didn't give me anything. <laughs> you, didn't give me anything. you gave me three questions. Right. <laughs> so I'm still answering those three questions. Sure. That's the beauty of it. Sure. Uh, that our life with God is inexhaustible, and what difference it makes is going to make a difference in every stage of life. Uh, and I'm not a static thing. And, uh, you know, when people come on retreat with me, one of the encouragements I offer is um, how much of your life have you explicitly shared with God? How much of your life have you explicitly been with God? And when I say explicit, really described, really shared like a friend would, this is what happened in this part of my life. How much of your life have you really been in friendship with God. And that's the exercise of a silent retreat. Mm-hmm. Be with God in everything, mm-hmm. whatever's coming up. And it's amazing how much of our lives have not been attuned to God. And, and uh, this often starts in our family. We, we realize how much of our life has not been attuned with our parents. You know, 
we, we all have those moments where we recognize my mom didn't get me there. Mm-hmm. My mom certainly didn't get me during those years. Mm-hmm. Or my dad did not get me there. And, and your parents can be great people. They put food on the table. There's money in the college savings. They're present for meals. They provide for everything. But they might not be discovering your heart. Mm. They might not fully know your heart. Right. And that experience of alienation people take into adulthood Mm -hmm. and then they take it into the Lord Mm -hmm. and they say, well, you're not much different. Right. And our father is different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what Jesus is always saying. Mm -hmm. You have a father and you're meant to pray to him as I do and share life with him as I do. Do you believe that? Your baptism says you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you have the grace to go into that. Mm -hmm. So if you've been baptized and confirmed, you have every grace under the heavens to have a very rich relationship. And, and really be a prayer. You've been gifted for it. Mm-hmm. And when I say gifted, it's like those kids that go out and run. I remember going to a track meet, and uh, I watched this uh, one student uh, run the 400, and he, w- he won all four races, 400, 100, 200, triple jump, and he was effortless for him. Mm. Everyone else was straining. He was gifted as a runner. And if you, if you have the sacraments of the church, you're gifted to pray in this way of friendship. So I just want to provide that assurance. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's great encouragement for our listeners to know that they are gifted in this way. The Holy Spirit is already present. Graces are already flowing in their life. And having listened to us, um, you know, in this time together on the podcast, hopefully they, you know, just kind of take a little homework away from this discussion to say, in the quiet, I'm just going to start telling my story uh, and I'm going to relate to the Lord, everything that's going on, good or bad, ups and downs, whatever it is, a story that he already knows. <laughs> but as you said earlier, he, he really enjoys the dialogue. He enjoys the exchange of hearing from us, hearing from his beloved sons and daughters, and then uh, speaking a word of, of comfort and encouragement into that. So great insights, Father. Thanks for your time. Uh, keep up the great work here with all of the students and the seminarians here at Kenrick Seminary. Um, Blessings on your priesthood, and God bless to all of our listeners. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.